Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. So uh, this morning, uh, we are completing our, um, our series on All in the Family and how appropriate it is that today we are going to conclude by talking about a parent-child relationship. We're going to discuss and kind of look at uh, what it means to honor your parents and what it means as a child to be the example, the Christ-like example um, that God calls us to be. In this series specifically, we're exploring the relationships of humanity in Scripture so that we might grow in relationship in our own families and also in relationship with the family of God. Now, I noticed them on the platform, and I saw several when they came in. Uh, I made a challenge last week, and I know it went out uh, for our children to dress up as their favorite superhero. So I'm going to give them a moment now. If they want to stand up now, we'd love to recognize you children. If you're, if you're in here, and adults as well, I do see a Captain America in the back. If you're dressed up as a superhero today, we'd love to see you. Oh, yeah. Well done. Nice. A lot of them over here. There's two Captain Americas. We've got one up front and one in the back, so well done. He wore it better. I like the mask on him as well, so... Great. That's awesome. So glad that you are in here today for children. Um, just in case you didn't know, the Family Fifth Sunday is always when we have a fifth Sunday of the month. The children enjoy a uh, time of, of, of worship with us all in here together. And so uh, we have an, a little different service you've noticed already. And um, in particular, a lot of times as far as the teaching is concerned, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go two different directions. So as far as adults that are in here, there may be some things that you think, well, that's pretty elementary. It's intended that way, and if you're a, a, a child in the room, you might say, well, that goes over my head. That's for your parents or your grandparents or somebody to explain to you later um, as you kind of sit around the table. So you might not realize this, but uh, as we look at superheroes today, that there was a superhero, so to speak, that was not make-believe. There was a superhero that once lived on this earth, that lived a life that was honoring to God, lived a life that was perfect, and the one superpower above all the others that this superhero had was the fact that this superhero could save your soul, save you from the sin that divided you, that separated you from God the Father. The superhero that I'm talking about is not somebody that wore a cape. The superhero I'm talking about is Jesus Christ. And children and adults alike, we can all stand on the reality that Jesus came so that we might experience life and life eternal. Not just be saved from a burning car, a burning building, not just be saved from that villain that's out there, but instead be saved eternally, spiritually, so that our lives here on earth can honor him. And at the same time, when we pass from this life, we can live in a place of light, in a place of goodness with the God creator, not in a place of destruction, darkness, and death. And so as we talk about this person, Jesus, I want us to reflect upon one attribute or one specific time in his life. We, in a couple of months, it's coming quick, just so you know, in a couple of months, we're going to celebrate and we're going to reflect upon the baby Jesus. Jesus coming to earth, Jesus as a human being coming to this earth as a baby. And we read a lot about that. We talk a lot about that throughout the year, but particularly during the Christmas season. 
And then we also in Scripture see most of the gospel talking about Jesus as an adult. He was a man. He was an adult. He did miracles and he taught and he had disciples. And then he went through the the Passion Week, the crucifixion and the resurrection as an adult. But there's this one little window, this one little window where we recognize the family dynamic of Jesus' home. Right? We see the fact that Jesus as a baby, oh, he's so cute. He, he's really, he, does, he can't do anything wrong. And then we see Jesus as an adult, oh, he's so cute. He doesn't do anything wrong, which is kind of interesting. But we see right here in the middle this instance where Jesus and his parents go to the temple. In fact, Jesus and his parents are on this venture together, and Jesus is in this, this kind of interesting time in his life where some of us, we recognize this because we have kids this age. Some of us recognize it because we have grandkids that are this age. Some of us recognize it because we are this age, right? And he's in this preteen moment where he's kind of, you know, what do, what do I do? Where do I go? What's this all about? And he's starting to have this coming-of-age moment where he's realizing, he's recognizing there's something going on in his life. And so we're going to read today from Luke chapter 2, and I want to do so with the recognition that there are things called perspectives, right? There's a thing in life where we read or we recognize things in life from our perspective. And I will say right now, there's probably two very, there's probably a bunch, but there's probably two specifically very different perspectives in the room. There's this perspective of the child who would read this specific passage as the child, perhaps even looking at the child and saying, yeah, well, that makes sense or that doesn't make sense. And then on the other end, there's the perspective of the parent or the adult who's reading it with a very differing understanding. And so here's what we're going to do, just as kind of a playful way of of kind of bringing this passage to life. I'm going to read the passage two times. The first time I'm going to read it with commentary as a child might read it. Don't don't throw me out of here yet. Don't don't say no. And then on the other end, I'm going to read it as the adult or the parent might read it. So picking up in Luke's gospel, chapter 2, Verse 41, it reads like this. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to their custom. And I can imagine a young child reading this saying, every year we do the same vacation. Every year we load everything up. I got to leave my switch at home. I got to leave my, my, my video game. I got to leave all my fun stuff at home. We got to get on the, this caravan where we go with our family, the same people, and grandpa tells me the same joke, and my uncle gives me the same noogie. Every year we go to the same place in Jerusalem where they don't have a cool roller coaster. The passage continues, after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. And so here, the the, the child might read this and say, finally, some adventure, right? Finally, the character, the main character of the story here, Jesus realizes there's more to life than just following mom and dad's rules. Maybe there's some fun to get into. Maybe there's an arcade around the corner. There's something we can do that's exciting. And so here, the child's reading this thinking, okay, good, Jesus is getting into some trouble. Maybe there's hope for me yet. Thinking he was in the company they were traveling on for a day, they Then they began looking for him uh, among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. 
Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously, anxiously searching for you. We've been out and about. We've been looking for you. And it's like, come on, mom and dad, you, you dropped me off here in Jerusalem. You, you showed me this church. You basically told me, go in and hang out with these boring old people. And so I go in, I talk with them, I have conversation with them, and, and you get mad that I stayed here or you get mad that I'm hanging out here. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. And here the child might read this and think, you know what? Yeah. Yeah, Jesus, he, he, had, he knew better than mom and dad. In fact, he had a better idea than they would have ever had. And so because Jesus did this, yeah, that, that's why we can experience the things we experience. Because Jesus knew better than his mom and dad. After all, ice cream is the best dinner you can ever have, right? <laughs> what they said. And then in verse 51 and 52, it says, Then he went down to Jerusalem with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. I'm sure there's a little bit of a speechless mentality here because it's like, whoa, 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 we had mom and dad right where we wanted them and then all of a sudden, Jesus, you obeyed them. You went where they told you to go. You didn't even bargain with them. Like they left you in another, another city. You could have been like, hey, you know what? I'm going to tell everybody unless you give me a new box of Legos. Like, Jesus, I can't believe that you didn't get something out of this. And then let's read it as, as the parents, as the two that, uh, that brought Jesus to this place. Every year, Jesus' parents burned up three vacation days. <laughs> they went to Jerusalem for the festival, the Passover, as was their custom. They followed their, their heritage. They did what they were supposed to do. He was 12 years old, and they went up to the festival according to the custom. And so here, there's this recognition that, hey, Jesus is 12. This is a coming-of-age moment. This is a time for him to grow and to experience this new thing where he's going to go from being a boy to being a man, our precious child. We're so excited for him. Now, we don't want him to get too old too quick. Because if he gets too old too quick, what are we going to do? You know, it seemed like just yesterday he was just a baby laying in that dirty, dirty manger. But now, today, he's going to become a man. Hopefully he doesn't start thinking for himself or doing things that he should be doing as a man. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. And his parents, I'm sure, were thinking, yeah, we're going to head back. We're going to go with this new man in the house. He's going to take on responsibility. He's going to, he's going to help provide. He's going to do all the things that are necessary uh, to, to contribute to the family business. Verse 44, thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. And then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And then they began to kind of rush around that Sears store and looking in the racks and the clothes. Where is Jesus? What, what's going on here? And I'm sure the parents all in the room can reflect upon this, that moment when maybe that little one that was under your care kind of wandered off and you had that moment of panic. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Well, good. Okay. Any parent knows, retrace your steps, right? He'll, 
He'll be there. He's always in the last place you look. And after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. Jesus, you're here in the temple. What's going on? And and the parents reading this, his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? I gave birth to you, I fed you, I gave you everything you needed. Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And then that boy back talked, right? (laughs) Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be about my father's house? And maybe some parents, you know, you look at this, you think, okay, well, there's kind of a divided house there, right? In some regard, okay, he's not wrong. But they did not understand what he was saying to them. And then he went down to to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and his favor with God and with man. There's some very interesting points to draw from this specific passage, no matter how you read it, no matter how you reflect upon it. There are some truths that God wants to not only teach children, but also teach adults. And then at the same time, for those of us who are in this room who may not have a child, or maybe you don't have a parent that's living, at this point, there is still a recognition on how we are to honor and be obedient to one another within the family of God. And so we're going to walk through some of this passage to just pull out some specific things. Some will be directed directly for children, and some will be for parents, and some will be for both. You know, right there in the beginning, verse 41 is very telling about the heart and the desire and the anticipation and the priority of Jesus' parents. It says, every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. Jesus' parents made it a priority to go to Jerusalem. And with all the things they could have had on the family calendar, all the things that could have taken place in their life, all the ways they could have spent their resources, because it wasn't just about the time, it was also about the money that went into it. Everything that went into this, they chose to put forth the main priority, which was to expose their child to this religious community. When I was a youth pastor, I, I used to laugh sometimes specifically uh, so that I wouldn't cry about some of the priorities that I would experience when it came to engaging with families. And I got an image here I'm going to put up real quick. I don't have an image, but they do in the back. There it is. It says youth ministry math. It says North Face Fleece, $120. Beats headphones, $300. iPad, $400. New Jordans, $350. iPhone 5 is a little bit dated, obviously. $370. And then travel team, $500. Winter retreat. that's too expensive. And I would hear this from parents from time to time, and I would think to myself, all the investments that we make, and perhaps this is a little over the top, and I get that, and if you feel convicted, you're welcome. But if you don't feel convicted at the same time, this is an opportunity to recognize the the, the opportunity we have as parents, you and I have as parents, because I'm a parent as well, to be able to invest in the lives of our children. And certainly the point is this, if you're taking notes, the point is this, parents should set godly priorities. 
You and I are, are given the opportunity to, to and the blessing to be able to pour into young lives around us. If you're an adult, you, you have lives around you, whether they're your own child, or maybe it's a nephew or a niece, or maybe it's a neighbor, or maybe it's a grandchild, but you have children around you that you help set the tone. And it might not just be for you bringing them to church. It could just be you living it out or revealing to them what's important in your life because they are listening. And I better continue or else I'm going to get ahead of myself. But I will tell you this, parents, adults, all of us, we have the opportunity to engage our children by setting godly priorities. Mary and Joseph made it a priority to expose their child to godly community particularly in following this specific call to arms, which was to go and to be part of this one festival of Passover each year. As the passage continues, verse 42, I just want to make mention of this because it's very important to recognize. It, it reads like this, when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to their custom. And the reality here is this, this is profound because, and I, I wonder about scripture, maybe you realize this too. In scripture, we see Jesus as a baby, we see Jesus as an adult. Why is this the only time that we see Jesus in any other rite in between? And I think it's because this is a profound moment in Jesus's life, because this is actually the moment where he goes through his bar mitzvah, where he is going from child to adult. And we see him specifically at age 12. And if you've ever met a 12-year-old, particularly a 12-year-old boy, you recognize that one moment they're the most mature person on earth, right? Interacting with adults, cooking and cleaning and paying bills. And then the next moment, they're over here laying in mud. And there's these two natures, but Jesus at the same time being this fully, 100% uh, fully God and 100% fully man is living in this place of two natures. And so right here we see this glimpse of him going from one place to the next, this new life that he's to take on. And through these two natures, he's going to become the savior of the world. And even in that, we also see this enlightenment understanding that he has where he's getting this recognition that, hey, there's something that God's calling me to. My father has called me to this new moment, this new thing. Verse 43 through 45 reads about Jesus staying there in Jerusalem and his parents moving on. And this can be difficult for some of us to, to really think about because how could they leave him behind? Some cultural context might help, and this is just kind of for the story's sake so we understand where we're at. In, in that day, what would have taken place is as the caravan continued or as the caravan moved, there would have been a separation of genders. That means there would have been the guys would have been together and the ladies would have been together. And the ladies typically would have had the children with them. And so what could have been thought in the minds of both parents is, okay, well, Joseph is up here with the men thinking, okay, my, my son has decided for this last trip as we head back to continue one more time with his mother, with the children and with the women. And at the same time, mom would have been back here. Mary would have thought, okay, my son, he's, he's taken this step. He's up with Joseph and, and he's with the other men and he's walking along. And so there's this, this difference in where they're at. And there's this recognition that, hey, that's, that's possible. You ever gone somewhere where both parents drove? I've gone plenty of times to church when I was younger, both parents would drive. And when both parents drove, for whatever reason, we had a, some kind of conflict afterwards or an event or whatever it might be, when everybody went to grandma's house after church, which is typically what would happen, there were times where myself or one of my siblings or one of my cousins, whoever it might be, found themselves at the church with no licensed driver available to get them to grandma's house. Because there was a thought, a recognition, they must have gone with whoever. 
Aunt Pam, Grandma, whoever it is, they rode with somebody else. And so as we see this, it's hard to say, man, I can't believe that these parents didn't take care of their child, especially because they knew this was precious cargo. This was Jesus. This was the one which God gave us. But there's not simply some lack of understanding or, or lack of care. Instead, it lies directly on this misunderstanding, which we will see God redeems as well. Verse 46 and 47, Jesus was at the temple, and here we see him teaching we see that Jesus' priorities reflected those of his parents. It wasn't necessarily that he stuck around or he stayed behind because he wanted to show off, but it was instead because he recognized his parents continued to introduce him to Christian community, or at that time to religious community that was obedient to God the Father. He was not being defiant. He was being obedient to what he had learned, to what he knew. And it wasn't like they sat him down one time and said, okay, Jesus, here's the deal. I want you to spend a lot of time in the temple. Okay, Jesus, we want you to spend a lot of time reading and studying the scriptures. Okay, Jesus, we want you to spend a lot of time praying and investing in this. And they very well might have done that, but it's not recorded in scripture. What is recorded in scripture is their action. And the second point is this, more is caught than taught. You might have heard this phrase before. It's fairly common, but the, 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 the main uh, need or the main understanding of this specific, ver or this specific uh, point is this, that the way that we live our lives, the things that we do, the way that we, we, we give our, our money, the way that we give our time, the way that we give our gifts, the talents that we have, the way that we, we invest ourselves is what's going to be most caught. It's the thing that's going to be entertained. It's the thing that's going to be um, also applied in the lives of those that are watching us. And so the way that you live is going to speak much louder than the things that you specifically teach. And so as you engage with your grandchildren, or you engage with, with your children, or you engage with the kids around you, even if you're not directly involved or talking with them, what you do is going to be seen, and it's going to also be done. We must encourage our children. We, we, we have to encourage our children to step into environments that they don't always think are going to be fun or exciting or into actions. Our, our actions encourage uh, the environments that we have before us to obtain godly values, to, engage, to obtain godly priorities. Look, I will tell you more than anyone that my kids, when the doors are open at the church, they're here. And I will tell you, they say sometimes, I feel like we're always at the church. And I will tell you, I'm glad that they say that rather than I feel like we're always at the bar. I, I'm glad they say that, then I feel like we're always at fill in the blank. What better place could they get tired of being than being around other believers, than being with you? If I want them to learn from someone, I want it to be you. As the passage takes a turn, we see this misunderstanding in verse 48 through 50. And Jesus explains that this is an interesting thought. It's encouraging to him that Jesus thought his parents were encouraging him to stay in the temple. They thought bringing him there was this new step, or he thought bringing him there was this new step of, of living a life that's honoring to him. And I, I, I try to get, I don't know if you've ever done this before, I try to get kind of an imagery of what takes place. I try to put myself in the situation and a couple of years ago, several years ago, a new series came out called The Chosen, and it brings forth kind of this understanding, this visual representation or reflection of what actually takes place or took place in that time. 
Now, it takes a little bit of creativity and, and, and kind of pulls from different things. So I would say that it's not necessarily, it's more of a paraphrase, not necessarily an exact replica of what took place. But I want to take a moment now. We're just going to watch a couple of minutes of, of this uh, moment of misunderstanding between Mary and Joseph and their son, Jesus. It's okay. Why is everyone so upset? Mary, he was in there. She was supposed to be riding in the caravan with Uncle Abaita. I was supposed to be with my father. Then why weren't you? I was. You were in the temple? It was incredible, Mary. You should have seen him. He was teaching when I found him. The rabbis, the scribes, the scholars, they could not believe their ears. They barely let us be. Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? It is too early for all this. If not now, when? Just help us get through all of this with you. Maybe we should get going before they make a formal inquiry, huh? Jesus, please don't do that again, huh? Yes, Abba. May I read? We'll see, hmm? Come now, we've got a long journey. And I think they took a little bit of liberty there. Obviously, no kid at the end is going to say, may I read, but... I think as we look at that clip, we recognize a couple of things. One of the main or the primary things to focus on there is this was not a battle between parent and child, but instead it was a joint effort. A joint effort to glorify God in their relationship, a joint effort to try to step forward and to recognize who God has called them to be. And I, I also recognize or see the fact that in this moment, Jesus is beginning to understand who he is. He's beginning to see and, and to understand his own identity. And in his own identity, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, we have the responsibility to engage our children to discover who God created them to be and whose image they are created in. In a world where there is no absolutes, in a world where the, 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 uh, the, the defining moment or the defining thought is live your truth, we must teach our kids they are created in the image of God. 
Because if we don't teach our kids that they're created in the image of God, somebody else is going to teach them that they're created in some image, and it's not going to be God. I got an image here. I'm just going to put it up real quick, and I got this neat little thing. It's an interesting uh, reflection. Right here, you see this photo, and it's a little bit distorted right here. This is a, a photo of a painting, uh, a, uh, a famous painting. If you look at it, you see the chair, and you see there's a rag on the chair. You see there's a, you know, it's on a, a block floor in the wall. But here on this box back here, it says Vincent right here. And this is really distorted, and I kind of did this on purpose. I didn't realize it was going to be that bad. I thought you'd still be able to see it. But certainly that's important because here's the deal. It's not always going to be blatantly obvious what our identity is, especially for our children, without any kind of understanding, without any kind of tutelage. It's not going to be always easy for them to recognize or to see what their image is or who their image is or who their, is, whose identity they're created in. But it's for us to be able to illuminate that that one autograph, that one signature right there, and that's God's hand on their life. Now, if we look at this, this specifically, this uh, illustration as a spirit, in a spiritual context, it's up to us to clear away the distortion for them to help to be able to see and to recognize and to accept the identity to which they have, which is they are created in the image of God. And that third point is children should be well informed that they are created in the image of God. It's important to note we are human beings, not human doings, meaning that what we do does not define us. It doesn't define who we are. It doesn't define our identity. Instead, uh, our identity is defined in what we are or, or who we are, realizing the fact that we as human beings are created in God's image. Our identity is gained not in what we do, but in who we are. And then finally, in verse 51 and 52, we see Jesus was obedient to his earthly parents and in turn his father and in turn his, to his father because they were devout and followed God the Father, recognizing that he went back and he was obedient and he listened to his parents. You know, I, I heard a story just this past week from an individual who talked about when he grew up, he would sit at the table, when he would sit at the table before dinner and all the food would be laid out and it all be getting cold, one of them would be assigned, one of the children would be assigned to share a, a, a devotional thought, to share a passage and what that passage meant to them. And as they would read the card and they would go through it, they would share what this was all about and what God had done and the way that God had worked through that and they would all be enlightened, grow together. They would put forth a moment of almost fasting from the food that was sitting before them so they could allow God to nourish them before they dove in physically. And it's interesting, we look at that, and we think, wow, that's really out there. Wow, at the same time, my kids would hate that. But the funny part is, he even shared, you know, at the time I couldn't stand it, but now I look back and I think, wow, what a formational moment that was for me. I can't believe that God was able to speak in something that I really didn't love all the time when it took place. You know, even though Jesus knew he was the son of God, he still obeyed his earthly parents. Even though Jesus was a nudge, nudge, a superhero, he still obeyed the authority that God had placed before him in the people of Joseph and Mary. He worked hard with his father, who was, was a craftsman. He was a tecton. And what that means is, you know, some people say that that's carpenter. It could also mean that he was a mason, but he worked with his hands. And Jesus did the same. He stepped forward as part of the family business, and he worked hard. He, 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 was, he did it with all that he could to honor his father and to honor their business. And as we look specifically at this passage and the interaction that takes place between Jesus and his parents, two specific challenges come to the surface. 
Two specific challenges come to the surface as we reflect upon who God is and what he's done. The first one is for kids, kids challenge, and that's this. Kids, honor your parents as they honor God. Children in the room, and you can be a child still or a child of someone still and be 60, 70, 80 years old. Honor your parents as they honor God. And the interesting thing is that holds a little bit of additional weight for your parents because specifically on that, in that honor God moment, if you're an adult, the adult challenge is this, strive to be godly parents worthy of obedient children. Strive to be parents that, that, that gain for the right reason, the obedience of the children that you have been granted, that have been put under your care so that you might be able to, to reveal to them the, the, the person of God, their own identity, for them to be able to know who you are and who God is. Several years ago, I shared this story, and I'm just going to share it briefly as we kind of close together. I, I was driving actually here um, in the moving truck as we were uh, moving here from South Dakota several years ago. And as I was driving in the, in the truck by myself, I was just listening to music, which I don't actually often do in the car, but I was this day. And I had it just on a random playlist. And, and this song came up from The Greatest Showman. And this song was one that, that shared this, this, this uh, kind of rationale and, and the priority of the main actor. And it was called A Million Dreams. And in the song, the actor, he sings about all the dreams that he has for life, all the things that are important, all the things that he hopes for his own life. And obviously it's a show tune, so I belted it out along with it by myself in the car. And as I'm in there and I'm driving, the song kind of comes to an end. And then all of a sudden, if you haven't seen the movie, you, you might recognize or you might know there's, a, there's another scene later on where his children... His children sing in a reprise the same song that he sang, and they're there tucked away in their room, and they're in this place, and as they, they're in there together singing, two of his children, they sing the song that they heard from their father. I want to play just a portion of that right now. I just want you to listen and reflect on the father's voice and on the children's voice and action as well. They will sing the song 
that we sing. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.